Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of talking with the Red Tape Performance's Tom Farrow. Tom actually assists with the English Rugby Sevens also and works with Richmond Rugby Club on top of his work with the Red Tape Performance. And Tom and I get right into talking about their idea of cultivating heroes and how that fits into what they're doing at a Red Tape Performance. We then get into discussing some of the differences in the training at the multiple levels that he works with and how the demands of the different levels of competition between the Sevens and between the club at Richmond determines how he handles his athletes. He then breaks down the differences in the two games between 15s and 7s and how he looks at that when developing and monitoring each of these athletes. This includes like how they set up the monitoring programs in general and then how they evaluate each of their athletes and break things down versus individual team and the position. 
He then shares with us how he looks at injury prevention and reduction and what three things he really tries to focus on and manage to keep his athletes resilient and healthy. We finish off talking about the education work that Arete is doing and how this is helping to drive the continuing education of coaches in England. This is an absolutely fantastic talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, man. Thank you very much for having me, man. Hey, man. Corona. So, yeah, let's let's give people the quick Sparks Notes version of, of who Tom Farrow is and what he's doing. Okay, so currently um, working a couple of days a week, being the Sevens. I've uh, been here, it's my third season here, working alongside Dan Howes, who's the head SNC here. Uh, outside of that, uh, I've got my own business that I run with my business partner, Ian Taplin, uh, Retail Performance. So as part of that, we... I've got contracts with Richmond Rugby Club, uh, who are currently a championship, so tier two rugby team, basically. They're the only fully part-time team, so everyone there has got a full-time job, but they're competing against full-time teams, so they're doing a real good job this season. Um, and alongside that, we have some school contracts, and we have some individual athletes we work with, so a nice, nice variety at the moment. So you're working with the English Sevens, the top of the top. Yeah. You're yeah. working with a championship-level club, which is the second tier pro, and you're working yeah. with school-aged, college, high school-aged teams. Yeah, and I've got some PT clients still going. I've got a woman who's 67 who's got Parkinson's, so uh, things like that. It's a nice, nice mix. I like, I like variety. I'll tell you what. It sounds like you do. So let's talk about what we're doing. Let's talk about some, some maybe some commonalities than some of the extreme differences you see through those four levels that you're working with. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it, it all comes back to stimulus and adaptation. And it's just finding that point with whoever you're working with where you can make a difference. What you know, What's the level that they're currently competing at and understanding that as deeply as you can. And then just knowing how to, what tools do you have to make that a little bit harder, make it a little bit easier. And, uh, and just moving from there. So our logo for Arita is essentially the stimulus adaptation curve. And there's a, some more story behind that in terms of uh, we talk about cultivating heroes. So heroes are those that can face chaos and come back with something useful. That's basically, I think, anyone in any profession, anything they do, they go out and face the unknown of competition, of life, of whatever level of competition it is they're performing at. Our role is to help them face that and come back with come back with victory, essentially. Awesome. So let's talk about how you break that down, because obviously, you know, when you're dealing with the national team guys, that's a whole nother ball of wax versus a team that's kind of almost weekend warriors, really, if they're if they're a part-time team battling with some pro guys. Yeah, they they essentially are. So how do you how do you determine because that's so different and I'm sure the tools are different as well. So let's break that down. How how do you look at those sevens guys versus what uh, what you're doing with the Richmond team? So really it's about hierarchically ranking what's most important in terms of performance. So real simple with any sport, the most important thing is the sport itself. So one of the things I say to everyone, and, and I deliver this uh, talk to the guys at Richmond when we first started working there, is the best rugby players are the best players because they're the best players. Like some are stronger than others, some are faster than others, some are fitter than others. But if they're the best player, they figured out the constraints of that sport and they master that better than anyone else in the sport. So our role as SNC professionals is essentially to improve the potential for them to go out to that sport and prevail. But we can't, there's no cause and effect. There's nothing that we can do that goes, if I do this, 
they will 100% be a better rugby player because I don't know. So I have to face everything we do with that humility first of the sport's the most important thing. I want them to get as good at playing a sport as possible. And then it's just a case of how much time have we got to develop physical qualities um, around that. So with sevens, we've got plenty of time. They train Monday, Tuesday, they rest Wednesday, then they train Thursday, Friday, and then rest on the weekend. So what that means is we can push them pretty hard Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday and Friday compared to a 15s program where it's more about recovering from the weekend. And, you know, maybe you've got one big training day on a Tuesday and then the rest of the week is about preparing for the next game on a Saturday. So with sevens, we can have blocks of fairly intense training for quite long periods of time. With Richmond, and so they're basically, they train rugby Tuesday and Thursday nights. We get, um, we start our physical prep stuff before at six o'clock. So that will start with a speed session. That'll be 30 minutes long. Then we'll have a 45-minute gym session. Then they go and have their meetings and they'll have rugby training. So the rugby training then might go from 7.30, depending on how long the meeting goes, maybe 7.45 until 9. And on certain weekends where we haven't got a game, maybe we up the conditioning within that. But most of our conditioning will take place within faster-paced games, what we call impact games. So that'll be 15 v 15, played at higher tempo, like shorter rest periods. And uh, it's as simple as that in terms of trying to get an effect to be honest and now the the differences in the game have to play a huge role too and i i know that a lot of people over here probably are like what's he talking about between 15s and sevens so how about you break down some of the differences that you're looking at as a coach when you're dealing with the the kids at richmond now the guys at this is not this Richmond, this is another, there's... Yeah, that's confusing. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not have any confusion here, folks. This is just an ironic coincidence. Um, <laughs> but no, when you're when you're dealing with the team with Richmond versus when you're dealing with the Sevens, because the game is so different, what are, what are some training goals and agendas that you have that are different with these teams? Okay, so just for everyone who's, who's not familiar with the two different uh, varieties of rugby, uh, 15s is 80 minutes long two halves of 40 minutes. There's 15 players on each team, essentially. Sevens is uh, usually played in tournaments and it will be each game will be 14 minutes long with seven-minute halves. Uh, and then within a tournament, they could play anywhere up to six games and that's sometimes spread over two days. It's sometimes spread over three days. It changes. So the key difference is really in high-speed meters. So we classify high-speed meters as anything above five meters per second. So whereas... In a 15s game of rugby, the total distance covered by a back, say somebody does more running than the most of the other team, uh, maybe around 7, maybe 8K, depending on position. The the total high-speed metres within that be, say, six to 700 metres, above 5 metres per second, so less than 10%, essentially. Um, within 7s, within a game, 14-minute game, it'll be about 1,500 metres total distance, and about 20% of that will be high-speed metres. Um, so over a weekend, they could be doing uh, almost 9K of running, 20%, almost 2K of that is high-speed meters. So they tend to be a lot, well, not a lot, but a little bit smaller. They tend to be faster. They're a lot fitter than 15s. Uh, technically, it's a lot more demanding because the players are exposed. So it's the same size field, but it's uh, seven players on the field instead of 15. So they have to, their tackling has to be on point. Their passing has to be on point. Every every skill essentially is getting highlighted because otherwise they're going to get exposed out there. So it's it's a very demanding game. Um, some of the other challenges are sevens in terms of travel. They travel all over the world, so like we have certain jet lag protocols that we follow in order to make sure that 
Um, they're recovered before we start pushing them again once we get to wherever we're going to be. Um, and then it's a case of that that increases the likelihood of injury because of the high, the greater high speed meter load. The, uh, the the travel times can be very long. Whereas with 15s, they play more regularly, sevens, they don't. So in terms of managing training load, that becomes really important because, you know, like in terms of like your GPS meters and high speed is the key thing that we look at. That's going up and down all the time. So we have to be quite smart in terms of how we manage that. So what are some examples of how you have done that? So one of the things we look at is just your training stress balance, essentially. So it's your acute, your acute chronic workload. And uh, so we basically track everyone. Pre-season for us is about getting a huge, not huge, but a, 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 a high working average. So we know when the season starts in sevens, that's going to come down. And and any tournament weeks, that's going to come down. So we look to have, leading into, from the end of pre-season, some of our guys were at 500, 600 average. So that means in a whole week, they're doing 4,000 to 4,500 4, high-speed metres a week, which is off about 25,000 total metres. So it's, it's pretty demanding. But then... Once we get into the season after a tournament week, so it could be two to three weeks where we, we taper them down, they don't do too much running, they might be down to like 100 meter a day average. So then that's only looking at, that's basically just what they've done in the tournament in the week because everything else is about very is, is very low and it's about recovering and being as fit as possible for that tournament. So so we track we track GPS meters. Um, the, key, the key variable looking at is high speed meters. We look at sprint speed a little bit, which would be above seven meters per second. Um, but we found that to be fairly useful with just tracking high-speed meters, to be honest. That's interesting that high-speed became more pertinent than sprint meters. Well, sprint meters would be fairly low, to be honest, in, in some games. So high-speed is probably a little bit more of a reliable variable to consistently watch. Um, we use high speed because it's probably the point where hamstrings become a little bit more involved and the, the likelihood of injuries probably increase. So that, that's why we started using that and it, it seems to work pretty well. So then what's the differences that you look at with the, the Richmond team versus the sevens? Because obviously playing every week versus playing twice and then two off is, is one huge difference, but twice as many people I mean, changes the game exponentially. Yeah, and so we don't have GPS at Richmond, mm. so which makes it more complicated because in that environment you'd almost prefer to have GPS. You'd prefer to have um, because everyone's week's a little bit different. You know, managing people's training load might be more important, but we we don't have that. Um, we don't have the option. So I I'm sort of trying to keep a running tab in my mind of how tough training looks and seems to be, and having sort of worked with GPS for about six or seven years. I'm then guesstimating what the session is, um, really, and and that's a bit of a crude way of doing it. Um, we we individualise all the conditioning based on position and then based up on the makeup of the player. So I tend to categorise players between uh, strength power and speed power. I I used to call them strength aerobic in 15s because you get guys that are pretty strong, but they're they're not essentially line breakers. The way they the way they impact the game is through numbers of tackles, numbers of rucks they hit, but they're not necessarily breaking lines. So one of the things I realized fairly early on is you're not going to turn a marathon guy into a sprint guy. So you're not going to turn a guy whose who's game-breaking skill is hitting 30 rucks a game, 30 tackles a game, um, into a guy that's just going to be breaking lines. You do get some guys that can do both. Um, and the guys can 
have aerobic fitness to be able to get around in the park like that. And I, I used to see a lot of people training guys too much towards their weakness rather than their strength. So obviously we want to bring weaknesses up, but I want to make their strength a super strength. So if they make three line breaks a game, I want them to be averaging five line breaks a game. If they average 25 rucks a game, I want them to average 30 rucks a game. So that's, um, and there's the other difference between 15s and 7s, there's a lot more positional difference within 15s in terms of role they play in the field and the, the distances they cover. So it's always trying to, trying to find a balance between bringing the whole team's weaknesses up, but being able to individualize people's strengths so that they can do their particular job better. So what are some things you're using to identify what is being the pros and cons of these guys and what they're doing? So one of the things you could, like, to be honest, is watching them and watching the game. Like, There's ways you can do it like through testing. So it, like a repeat speed test would probably be one of the, 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 the most obvious ways to see the difference between an aerobic guy. So an aerobic guy's average uh, speeds across or times across a repeat speed test would be fairly consistent, but their total time, their, their total time um, of all their reps or the average, um, their percentage decrement. So the average through percentage decrement would be better within an aerobic guy, but their total time would be better within a, a speed power guy because they can just run each rep quicker but their drop-offs are going to be more. So that's the most obvious way to see it. Uh, you can see it in repeat jump tests and things like that, but to be honest, I think because the game is a running-based game, a repeat jump test might hide some things that you wouldn't see, that you'd see in a repeat speed test. But having said that, that's not something we actually do with sevens. It's not something we do with fifteens. Um, it's, it's a high-cost test. It's a high-risk test. And especially with Richmond, that the guys aren't there too often. We don't have much time. That we tested some some things early season, but when it came towards the season, it, for me it seemed like I didn't want to take time away from the rugby that was very limited, just to, for the sake of me doing a test. That to be honest, I could probably sort of pick out people and their strengths just from watching them and watching them play. So then we started to specialise the program on there. So we do we do test jumps every now and again with those guys, and more often than not, it confirms what you already think. So. It's, it's within sevens we're much more consistent we're much more we test them probably monthly in terms of jumps um, and get a little bit more consistent feedback um, but we've got a smaller group to manage there as well so that becomes simpler right and then when you're looking at those guys because it's a it's a bigger group but it's a it's a more wide variety of a group how are you implementing these changes that need to be done because of it being kind of a middle level team like there's a, there's obviously going to be the room for there to be some great improvement just through the general. Yeah. So how do you sell to them the general and the specific being altered through that group? So we didn't start anything specific till we got into the season, to be honest. Everything was fairly general up to the season. But the way I tend to do preseason is, is quite different to how most people do preseason. So for me, usually we start the season with a one to three week aerobic focus block. And part of the focus of that week is, is psychological as much as anything. So it's all stuff that's low cost, is low risk, but it's putting them into a bit of a dark place. So especially when you first start working for a team, it helps me to figure out a lot about who they are. Because for me, understanding who they are as people is, is understanding any physical parameters that they can, they can output. So, it's a lot of it's a lot of wrestling. It's a lot of uh, like 
uh, aerobic power intervals, which would be from two to five minute long. Um, it's a lot of crawls. It's a lot of carries. Um, it's, it's, you know, even wall sits, simple old school stuff like that, just to make them uncomfortable and see how they react in that environment. But none of it is, it's, it's also low intensity that is very unlikely to, to injure them. And then I'm conscious with the volume that I just don't do too much of it. And you don't need to do too much of it to make them feel uncomfortable because most of them have had four weeks off. So we do one to three weeks of that. Then what the focus then shifts to is strength, power or speed, power. So then the focus for me, like there's limited time in the season to get faster. And for me, being faster is the most important quality. So for then six to nine weeks is focused on getting faster. So everything then is, um, everything then gives way to speed. Everything in the program is programmed around speed. So we'll do three speed sessions a week. Um, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday will be our high days. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, we'll still have some fairly high intensity, but that will come through wrestling and it will have a low cost on the lower body. Um, and then it will, so your Tuesday, Thursday is essentially upper body, uh, sorry, Monday, Wednesday are upper body, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, then lower body power, power and strength basically in the gym. Um, and then we have as much skills within that around the basic skills. We try and get involved from day one. We want them to have their hands on the ball. So we try to involve the coaches as much as we can to have some input there. Um, so then after that strength power block and a lot of the conditioning methods there on a Tuesday, Thursday will be tempo based. So the idea is we're trying to improve this high speed tolerance. So for me, tempo acts as almost like a robustness tool. If you can manage, so in, in one, say if we do what's a big tempo session for us might be three sets of eight. So if there's 2,400 meters of total distance, that's about 1,900 meters of high speed meters. But in a game in 15s, all they're going to have to cover is potentially 700 meters. So if I know in a, in a week I can build a high speed tolerance up to two or three K within a week of high speed meters, then I know that going into the season, they're less likely to break down. It's the high speed meters that will test them. So for me, it, I, I probably need to draw this, but I think of it as building a pyramid. So if you have a pyramid of speed with uh, intensity going up the side and volume being across the bottom, I think every every speed has a certain volume that the individual can cope with. And obviously, as you get slower, they can do more of that speed. So I want to improve the intensity, so I'll make the peak of the pyramid higher. But I want to make the whole base of that pyramid wider as well. So we focus up here in terms of stretching that pyramid at the top, which is the dangerous meters in terms of injury. Mm -hmm. So that's where tempo is really important for me. And then once I've got that high-speed base, then I start adding the heart and lungs work in. That's when they start to feel tired, and that's when they start to really do the – that's where your, your sort of MAS intervals do become fairly valuable – um, repeat speed intervals and then a lot of it then as we get towards the um, season becomes much more game-based conditioning so it's almost like the flip of how everyone seems to do conditioning from what I see a lot of places is that make them as tired as possible early on but then for me then that's, that's your key time to get faster and then it's gone if you don't use that window it's gone so for me make them faster I mean Charlie Francis pretty much is what everything he talks about make them faster and the game takes care of itself and um almost regardless of what conditioning do we do, they're going to find the first game hard. So those preseason games are just about their training stimulus as much as anything. So some of those will send them into fatigued in order to get more of a training effect out of those games. No, a hundred percent. So let's, let's dive down even more into that. If you can, how do you, how do you break those sessions down and how do you, how do you separate the highs and the lows and what you're looking at in those weeks to, to build the speed in your athletes? 
Um, so, I like everyone talks about what well, is ideas within sports science of linear periodization, block periodization. But to be honest, I've I personally have never seen a a linear or block method like implemented in its pure sense. And um, I mean, Carlo Buzzichelli, uh went out and trained with him in Cuba, and obviously he's one of the uh, top guys in the world in terms of understanding programming methods and periodization. And he used to say a lot of these theories are just um, ideas for um, like scientists to make their name. And actually, in practice, none of them work like that. So when I look at most programs, they're all some sort of vertical integration. Everyone does everything most of the time, but how much of they do of everything changes. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, you might know different, you might do it different yourself, but my personal experience is the most programs I've seen in sprinting, in um, like kayaking, in rugby, I mean, I can't even talk about sports science in football, it's in soccer because it doesn't seem to happen in the, in the programming sense really, this modern time. But it's everyone does a bit of everything. So what I like to think is, uh, so we work speed and we work aerobic, but we work towards the center. So rather than it being like a linear like this, we work on the extremes and then we come towards the, I suppose, the work output of the sport, which is usually within team sports is below maximal intensity. So we start with acceleration and we start with like long, slow aerobic stuff and then we move towards the center. But so acceleration starts with like sort of five to 10 meter accelerations that moves basically becomes speed. And then with your aerobic stuff basically becomes uh, like repeat speed or this is where it becomes position specific. So wingers for me in rugby, they don't have much repeat work. So most of their conditioning will remain just tempo based. Like a lot of guys will just flog them and they're your speed guys. So you want to keep them quick. And if you do too much lactic work with them, they're going to lose. So um, some of the guys that have to do more repeat work in the forwards and they'll do some like MAS work, they might do some repeat speed. Depends, and that way it depends on their makeup, whether they're strength aerobic or speed power guys. Hmm. No, I love it. And I think that it's something a lot of people like to talk about how they do, you know, block training with this sport or block training with that sport. But like, even in American college sports now, there's there's not a time of the year where they're not practicing. Yeah. So unless you're accounting completely and totally for what's going on at practice. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if you're really doing it. Yeah, you know, I think in team sports it doesn't exist, really. I think within athletics, yeah, it can, and I'm sure some people do, uh, where you've got full control of the program. But um, uh, Jonas Dadu, I worked with at Speedworks. Um, he sort of he was a mentee of Dan Paths. Um, he worked with CJ Uja on uh, the UK's sprint guys, Reese Prescott. Um, you know, that's that's where I really started to put these ideas together because I was looking at what he was doing and he was you know he had his aerobic work was like longer tempo it wasn't like 100 meter tempo it was longer tempo and then that just got shortened and his essentially his aerobic work became speed endurance and his acceleration work became speed but it was the same thing it worked towards the extremes uh, it, it worked towards the center of like what what the sport was which was actually not as maximal as um, some of the stuff he started out on. oh no doubt and I think that that's that's a really great point. You know, you talk about all these max speeds and, and accelerations and this and that, but I mean, I, I work in basketball. They never hit top speed. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's shoot the courts 30 yards long. Like by the time you hit top speed, you're running into somebody who paid a lot of money for a ticket or a cheerleader, you know? 
And so, do, you do, do you do any speed with them? Do you do any higher speed stuff with them? Uh, yeah, we do acceleration stuff and we do some resistive running and we're going to get into more and more of that. But what we do more is technical work with cutting and changing direction and building into that and then building into the reactiveness of that. Because yeah. basketball is predominantly side to side and backwards anyway. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that you're talking and it's like these two tops and bottoms, they're not even, that's not what any of the sports are. Yeah. It's just kind of building that flux back down into the middle and, and making them good at where sport is. And I, and I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So I think the way I think um, our main job is protect against injury. And essentially, I think there's three ways. So in rugby, there's a lot of contact injuries. We can't essentially help that. That just is what it is. Um, you could say that strength has an impact on that. You could say that fitness has an impact on that. But that, take that out of the equation. I think there's three ways you're going to get injured. It's going to be too much intensity. It's going to be too much volume. Or it's going to be too much range. So our role is to make sure that they're prepared to manage the ranges they're going to have to uh, manage within the sport. Within rugby, they don't actually need that much flexibility. Some positions more than others. If they if they're in the like they're jacklers, they like to steal balls. Maybe they need a little bit more flexibility. But generally, they don't need that much flexibility. So something we need to manage, but it's not something we're going to hammer in the same way that they would do in athletics within hurdling or something like that. Um, then there's the volumes of what they're going to manage. So first one is that is the total distance they're going to cover in a game. And then looking at that, going up them speed, it's the high speed meters are going to cover in a game. So I need to make sure they're, they manage that. And obviously volume intensity is linked. It doesn't really separate. Because like I was saying, it's that pyramid. And you've got to be able to manage a certain amount of volume at a certain amount of intensity. And then within, the, say, the maximum speed you can run, you might need to be able to just do that once a game. But there's a lot of teams I know of that don't do speed. And they have a lot of soft tissue injuries because they're just not hitting them at intensities and not protecting the players against intensity. So even at Richmond, where it's a part-time program, with our backs or with our speed power guys, this is some of the forwards as well, we do speed twice a week. And um, I know of a lot of programs that don't do speed at all. So for me, speed comes before the gym because they play rugby on their feet. Most of the time, they're not in contact with anything. They're just running around the field. And uh, they're running towards the ball and they're running towards contact. So speed is the, like, in terms of you're looking um, your hierarchy of importance, speed's very high up there for me. So it's something that needs to be in the program. And because of it's in, like how the CNS system organizes around that, we need to prioritize that in our program. So it's why it comes first every Tuesday and Thursday. No, man. And I love that because it is like, no matter what the game is, you know, it, it all just comes back to, you know, like, Natalia said it here in, in 2013, you know, when she was talking about how they progress the jumps and they do all that stuff, you know, because people look at everything that they do and talk about and they think of it as it's like they're just trying to train these these jumps to, to be a better jumper and, and this and that. But really, it all drives back to, you know, what did she say? It was something like sport is the art of movement or something like that. Yeah. So, like, at the end of the day, like, like the end all be all of all of it is movement. And that's the yeah. purpose of our work. And it's like, Absolutely. that's why I think that a lot of that extensive stuff when it comes to, you know, you're talking tempo and she would talk jumping and I would say. Yeah, and my jumps are very much influenced by Natalia. That, that, um, I think that's the year I came with Kia 2000. Yeah. And it was like, most of the, the way I think about jumps is completely influenced by that, you know. 
intensive, extensive, hip dominant, ankle dominant. Mm-hmm. And then everything starts in them early early weeks in the preseason. It's all extensive. Repeat squat jumps, repeat lateral jumps, repeat lunge jumps, repeat uh, ankling up and down, forward and back, side to side. And then it just intensifies through the year. And that's, uh, that's a big part of the program. Yeah, you know, when you look at it, a lot of people are like, yeah, but that, there's got to be more than that. And it's, it's not. Like, I think the best part, like with what you're saying, is is the vast ways that it can be implemented, but the simplicity of it is what makes it complex. And yeah. it's the same thing with what she talks about. As you look at it, it's like, well, it's that simple. And it's like, well, yeah, it is, but it's not. Like, yeah. you got to understand, like, what that next step is. Like, when when an extensive jump needs to move to an intensive jump or when it needs to be removed or this, that, or the other thing, you know? So... So I think that there is all of that, yeah. but you know, bring it up a few years back when you were in town, you, you guys are doing some stuff over there when it comes to education too. Yeah. Yeah. So we've uh, started these Lyceum series, which essentially was just uh, some, me and my business partner, uh, Ian Taplin just thought, you know, it'd be a cool thing to do. It wasn't something we put too much thought into. We thought we, you know, we, we've got a fair few contacts with some cool guys that we think people would benefit from hearing speak. So we started off with having Clive Brewer, uh, who's over at Toronto Blue Jays, um, a British guy. So uh, Tablets knew him from a few years back. And Dan House, who's the head SNC over here at Sevens, who I work with, who's super smart guy, like one of the smartest guys I've ever come across in the in the in the realm of sports science, especially like the the stuff he's doing here at Sevens with monitoring, which he was doing way before I got here, is is I think world leading in its simplicity because he, he set this up while it was just him on his own. Um, and so it had to be real simple to collect the data and it had to be real simple to feed back. So it made sense to um, athletes and coaches. So we had those two do our first one. It's brilliant. You know, it's real popular. Uh, then we was fortunate enough to get Carlo Buzzichelli and um, Alexander Navas, who's the head jumps, uh, head of jumps for the Cuban jumps program. So another real cool speakers that people wouldn't usually get too much access to. Uh, and then we had Dan Paff, uh, we had Buddy Morris, and then we had uh, Ben Rosenblatt and um, Remy and Mabed, who are involved with English football at the moment. And then we had Dan Howes again to present on uh, on some rehabilitation stuff. So we've had some really cool speakers, and it's, it's, it's something that we're trying to keep like real low cost, something that we can do fairly frequently. Um, most of them have just been evening events. Uh, we won't necessarily always follow that format. We might sometimes go day events where we, if we get more speakers and. Like we're not really planning ahead too much of it at the moment. We're just real fluid in uh, in terms of seeing where it goes and and what and what it can become. No, it's brilliant, man. I love it. And anybody driving the profession forward, it's I know how much effort it takes to put those things on, man. So it's oh, you've done an amazing job at Seabass and the speakers you've got this year. I'm I'm saying a key. I've got a lot of trips this year, but I'm trying to make some time to come over for this one because well, it's very good. Appreciate it, man. We're stoked, and I, you know, hoping a bunch of you guys can make it over. You know, Sammy's talking about it, and you know that that little guy from Australia said that he might come up too. So, uh, nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. But uh, listen, man, where can people find out more about what Tom's doing? Where can they follow you on the socials? Where can they see you on the internet? What are What are we looking at? Uh, so on Twitter, that's oh, a good question. I don't know what my name is on Twitter. <laughs> Let me check. Um, so we got the, for the Arite stuff, the, the Arite account is, um, Arite perform underscore HQ. So I'm probably going to have to send that over and you can put it in the link because I'll spell it out. So it's A R E T E 
perform underscore HQ. Uh, for me, it's, let me check. I don't know these things. Arete Tom. So A-R-E-T-E underscore Tom. Um, and then on Instagram, I suppose if you search my name, a picture of my face will come up somewhere. Um, and there's there's stuff on there. We, we put all our stuff through there in terms of what we're doing. No, 100%. And it's, it's the same one on Instagram. It's the Tom underscore A-R-T-E perform. So, yeah. It's uh, putting out stuff, man. Putting out good stuff. And the Richmond Club has one, too. Yeah, there's a Richmond website. I don't know what theirs is. I'm no good on this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. So it's Richmond, Richmond FC. Mm-hmm. Um, if you search that, they, they, their stuff's on there. They sometimes repost some of the stuff we do in the gym. Uh, I mean, that's a cool that's a cool environment. It's probably quite different to what you get in a collegiate setting in that we've got a gym of uh, four squat racks. We've just got some squat racks put in outside. But in preseason, we had a strip of grass to run on basically about 10 metres wide and a square that was about 30 by 30. And then on that, we had 85 athletes throughout preseason, men and women. Um, so in the gym, sometimes we'd have 40 to 50 athletes with four squat racks. Uh, it was chaos, but I'm into that sort of thing, and it just figured itself out. It's cool. <laughs> sometimes it does, I guess. Well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. This is awesome, and uh, people are going to love this. This is great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, listen, we'll be in touch real soon. This is going to be This is going to be hot. Thanks, bro. Awesome. Yeah, man. Cheers. No worries. Thank you. And a huge thanks to Arete Performance's Tom Farrow for spending the time with us today. Guys, I mean, open, honest, candid sharing, an individual who broke down not just what his company's doing, but what he's doing with two high-level programs as well. It's absolutely fascinating. I can't thank Tom enough for being so open, honest, and candid with his sharing with us today. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you know somebody that can take something from this talk, please tweet it at them, tag them on the post, shoot them a DM with the talk. We're just trying to get the best information out that we can get to all the great coaches out there. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.